Segun, welcome to Resistance Radio. I'm John Kane. Uh, I will be flying solo, with the exception of always having Reggie here. But uh, uh, Regan hurt her arm, uh, and uh, she's convalescing a little bit. And look, there's nobody who deserves a week off better, more than uh, than Regan. So, uh, so you just got me. We might even do some phone calls at the uh, uh, at the end of the show. We don't always do that, um, but look, we'll, we'll do it this time. Before before I you know, address you know our, our our two stations carrying the show. Let me remind people that we are live streaming on Facebook, so you can go to Facebook. Uh, you can go to my uh, my Resistance Radio group page or my Let's Talk Native uh, group page, and you can find us streaming on Facebook. Um, I try to look at the comments while I'm doing the show. I don't. I'm not always successful, but I, I certainly do look at them afterwards. And uh, so, if you're if you're listening on uh, online, then wherever you are, we may uh, put the number out there for you to for for you to for, for us to take some calls at the end of the show. All right. So, um, I I have to remind people, and I got to do it every week. Sometimes a couple of times a week, or a couple of times a show. We are listener supported radio. We need your support to be on the air. We as a show need you to support the stations so we can be on the air. And if, and if you support WBAI or WPFW uh, and you do so in the name of Resistance Radio, then look, you you kind of secure our spot here. So, uh, again, if you're listening in New York City, I ask you ask you to dial 212-209-2950 or go online to give to WBAI.org. Of all the prompts, make a donation of any size. You can do a time donation. You can, you know, do a, a large lump sum. You can do a small lump sum. <laughs> you can, uh, you can become a BAI buddy, uh, and and make sure that you do a, a monthly uh, donation. So whatever you do, um, the only, <laughs> the only uh, support that's too small is the one that doesn't come at all. So uh, by all means, if you can, if you can make uh, a donation, or if you've made a donation and you want to up that ante a little bit, if you're a buddy and you want to go from ten dollars uh, a month to fifteen dollars a month, uh, look, whatever you can do to support the station, we appreciate it. If you are listening in Washington D.C. on WPFW, I ask you, you also to go to the, uh, <laughs> go to the pledge line. You can go to. 202-588-9739 that's 202-588-9739 uh, or you can go online to wpfwfm.org and follow the prompts there uh, again listener support radio we need you um i need look I, I can't express how important it is for me to be in the new york city radio market and and in the washington dc radio market there are things happening and, and you know, look you you watch the news you you see the news cycle um there are things that that come into the news and you will hear other native voices sometimes on npr or you know or even on democracy now but you may hear other native voices but you're not hearing this one you're not hearing regan you're not hearing john you are hearing what I oftentimes think are, are voices that that are afraid to take too strong a stance on this. If you listen to the show, you know that's not what you get with John and Regan. So, um, again, I ask you to support the program. I ask you to support the, the radio stations that carry this program. Um, I do want to remind people that we this show does become a podcast. And you can find Resistance Radio with John and Regan uh, on any of your your. your podcast platforms and of course i do also a uh, a podcast 
uh, called Let's Talk Native. Uh, and I do encourage you to check out um, both of them. Uh, the, the Let's Talk Native podcast is usually only about 30 minutes long or so. Uh, we we try to bring in guests and, and do a little more production to those. I'm also on, on YouTube at uh, Let's Talk Native TV. I have done... Um, several if not many youtube videos we also put the, the shows up on youtube as well but um but we do short form videos that that address many issues we've talked about everything from doctrine of christian discovery to the mascot issue to you know gaming issues residential school issues all of it we, we've talked about many issues there and those shorter videos are a good resource you know i encourage you to check them out i encourage you to share them and maybe flag them so you can go back to them because you know, I do have one of the videos that I do on the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act was actually used by a university to, uh, you know, uh, when when teaching law students about uh, about gaming law. So uh, it, it is a resource. Uh, I encourage you to to check it out. Speaking of podcasts, um, this week I did a, a rather extensive interview on a frankly a podcast is a lot bigger than mine. I'm, I got a targeted audience. I'm not I'm not, you know. I'm not a viral sensation by any means, but I did an interview on True Anon. Now that I know it's a little bit of a play on QAnon, but there's a a very successful podcast called True. That's T R U E Anon, uh, and I did um, a rather detailed interview about the residential schools. And you know, anytime I talk to a an audience or even a few individuals, or in this case the interviewers, who don't know a whole lot about about residential schools, residential slash boarding schools, this this hundred year long program to you know to basically strip native children of their native identity. It is really tough on the interviewer or the fir- the person who hears it for the first time because it is shocking. I mean, look, I know many people are lulled into this false sense that America is always good, and 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 ca- Canada is even nicer. Well, you know what? Sorry, it's just not true. And the United States has been guilty and continues to be guilty of major crimes, war crimes, crimes against humanity. And we as Native people, we are still we are still the victims of an ongoing genocide. There is There are efforts every single day to assimilate us, to subjugate us under U.S. or Canadian law. And most people are simply oblivious to it, or they don't think they don't look at it as as violent ethnic cleansing. But, you know, even this residential school issue, a lot of times, well, yeah, they took kids and they brought them to school and they and they taught them how to be Americans. No, it's, it's not that simple. We're talking about physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, death. I mean, we're talking about beatings. We're talking about children who were killed, children who were raped. I mean, and these schools were all government-funded by the federal government of both U.S. and Canada, uh, and then they were run by churches. And the Catholic Church ran a bunch of them, but it wasn't just the Catholic Church either. And, you know, so this idea that that this unholy marriage between church and state, and and when I say church, I mean churches and state, that that it could be this violent and and this, I mean, this heinous sometimes catches people by surprise i mean look as a native person i know what the history is so when i recount this i can sometimes you know talk about these issues and almost 
appear like I'm not emotionally moved by it. And that's not true. It is simply not true. Yeah, I've, I've learned how to compartmentalize my, um, my anger. But there's certain things that trigger that anger. You know, one, among the things that trigger that anger, I got to tell you, when I have to go to a school, and in, in, in the situation that, that I've talked about, the, my old high school, and I have to talk to white people, or, or perhaps even some white people who have some native ancestry, and I can't get through to them about what is wrong with white people who attend or send their children, I should say, because most of the people I got to argue with are not the students. I mean, the students it would be easy. But I got to talk to alumnus, right? I got to talk to the people who played football for their, for their team or, or whatever. And, and the fact that I, that I can't get through to them about what's wrong with white people playing Indian, and I know that offends some people. What do you mean we played Indian? Well, look, if you're running around on a football field calling yourself the Cambridge Indians or the Neshaminy Redskins or, or whatever, that's pretty much the textbook definition of playing Indian. I mean, if you're calling yourselves Redskins, Indians, Warriors, Savages, whatever, Mohawks, and you're not, that is, that's imitation. That's appropriation. And when I put that in context or, or juxtapose that against native children for, who, for over 100 years, we're talking about many generations i mean a hundred years worth of children who were ripped from their homes sent sometimes hundreds or even over a thousand miles away from their homes to schools that were really more like prison camps and in some cases more like you know torture camps and the policy was kill policy was kill the indian save the man on the Canadian side, they said our our policy or our low our slogan or our motto was kill the Indian in the in the child. That's that's what they and they boasted about it. They said, look, one of the things that we have to do is before we can indoctrinate them, before we can convert them both to Christianity and to Canadian nationality or American U.S. nationality, the first thing we have to do is we've got to teach these children to hate who they are. We have to teach these children to hate their native identity and to not just hate it, but cast it off and be glad to do so. So we have to really get in and, and destroy a part of these children. Then we can build them back up. And of course, we don't really need to build them up that high. Look, we don't need to really teach them anything. We, we teach them to pray and maybe pick crops in a field or sweep up and you do kind of janitorial services and that kind of stuff. Maybe we'll teach the women how to be maids or housemaids or, or whatever. We're not going to teach them any real viable skills. No, we're not going to do that. Because look, this is the way that native kids and native people in general were viewed for this entire period and in, in many ways still to, to this day, we were viewed as somehow deficient like we were mentally handicapped, that we, we didn't possess the intelligence to really fully achieve viable citizenship and, and to be really productive members of a Canadian or, or a U.S. society. But you know what? Somebody's got to clean up the, somebody's got to clean up the crap. You know, somebody's got to do the menial labor. Somebody's got to, you know, 
work the fields or, or work the mines or, or whatever. We're, we're not going to teach these kids to be lawyers or accountants or, or CEOs. No, we're not going to do that. But see, this was the policy. Strip away anything that would that would give them pride in who they were. And then we can, you know, and then we've got like, a, you know, raw clay we can mold. Of course, it doesn't work that way because you never truly strip it away. You just leave a child who will become an adult if they're if they're lucky enough to survive these schools. You will leave a child damaged, hurt. Look, we're, in the news cycle, there's a lot of talk about these the, the children who died, these unmarked or mass graves that are being discovered. You know, primarily, you know, at this point, we're only talking about Canada, by the way, and, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. We, we, it's, it's in the news cycle. And, and because it's in the news cycle and it's Canadian news, it's almost like the American news channels, the, US, the, you know, the, the media in the United States, picks it up as almost like, oh, that's what they did there. <laughs> they haven't even begun to investigate. Not really. Not, not in any official capacity. And, and native territories haven't had the resources to do the investigation themselves. There, there, hasn't, there hasn't really been any um, real effort to investigate the residential schools on, on the U.S. side. So the numbers that we're talking about, when we're talking about, you know, 13, 14, you know, approaching 1,500 mass graves or unmarked graves discovered on the Canadian side, and that makes the American news cycle. It's like they can look at it like it's, a, like it's just a Canadian thing. But, you know, I got to bring this back. So even with this kind of thing in the news cycle, children who, who were either killed or so mistreated and, and, and so much dereliction in, in their care that they died, be, you know, because of, you know, be, because they were not taken care of, neglect. Even with all of this, the idea that I got to still argue with white people about their right to appropriate and, and take our identity or some bastardized version of our identity so they can play football with it or basketball, or, or whatever the sport is. Or, you know, look, usually it's it surrounds sports, but not always. I mean, look, some of the, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. As I went back to my old high school and and have had this debate, I'm even arguing with people who never played sports in, uh, in that town. They never played sports. They just, but in but looking at it back, you know, in retrospect, oh yeah, I was really proud to be a Cambridge Indian. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. You're just saying that now because you feel like I am coming to your town to take something away from you. I mean, it's it's absurd that you can get white people that will will claim that they they adopt these mascots to honor native people, which they don't. They only adopt these mascots so they can claim to some characteristic that Hollywood and, and they themselves have now attributed with with being a warrior or a chief, nobility almost, though, you know, fierceness, bravery, courage, all this stuff. And then they expect us to feel honored because they have now, in spite of centuries of degrading us with comments like merciless Indian savages and dirty redskins and, and all of these other, you know, all these other terminologies that they use for us. 
now we're supposed to be honored because white people are willing to take something of ours, our image, our name, or some reference to us, and call themselves. We're supposed to be honored by that. But in the back of our minds, as we see white children playing Indian, we have to struggle with the idea that native children were beat, sometimes beaten, sometimes to the point of death for being native. And that is why they were abused. I mean, let's be clear. There were no other children sent to these schools. These were Indian residential slash boarding schools. On the Canadian side, it was mandated by law that every child had to go. 150,000 children were, were, were cycled through these schools with mortality rates that, that reached up to 60%. 60% of children who went into those schools died. And look, they can attribute some of it to tuberculosis and, and various other diseases and that kind of stuff, but some of it was flat out abuse. And the reason that they died at such a high rate of disease is because they were malnourished. You know, they, were, they didn't have any proper medical treatment. There were children who died in these schools of, of the kinds of things that nobody would ever die from. You know, a, a cut, an injury, an infection. You, they had very treatable ailments, you know, some of these children that simply weren't treated. And this story is the same on either side of the, that imaginary line. So I can't talk about the mascot issue without bringing up the residential schools. And I can't talk about the residential schools without getting even more angry about it when I have to confront white people about playing Indian. I mean, it is just one of those things. So if you get a chance, uh, I think the, the uh, episode that I was on with the Truanon is coming out um, by the weekend, Friday, Saturday, I don't know, by, by the weekend anyway. But look up True and On, it's on all the major platforms and, uh, and look for my interview uh, with, the, uh, with the, the folks out there um, uh, in, uh, in California, as a matter of fact. And uh, you know, check it out. Now, I also got to bring up, uh, look, I did a show three years ago. Uh, Shawnee Rice and I did, uh, did this program. And I was really concerned about the Iroquois nationals going to Israel to play lacrosse in some international tournament. Because they were going there at a time when it was all over the news about Israel shooting Palestinians through the fence that, that, that they were enclosed by. I mean, including nurses and doctors and reporters. And when it was all over the news, again, three years ago, check it out. But I, but I did a show because I, some of the, the, you know, some of what the Iroquois nationals, and look, I'm native, I'm Haudenosaunee. The idea that, that, that the best lacrosse players across all our territories, all our communities, come together and play at the, at the, na at the international level, and they don't just play. I mean, look, they compete for, for medals in these, in these tournaments. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they're the third best team in the world. Second only behind the USA, which has 300 million people to pull, you know, pull athletes from, and, and Canada that still has you know, 100 million people to pull from. And we put together the, best, the third best international team with communities that only have you know, several thousand people per community in it. And so it's, it's an amazing accomplishment. 
And look, we do so by advancing this this sport as something that that is has been a part of our culture for many, many, many years. But unfortunately, the politics of sports you know comes in. But the other thing that comes in is misogyny, gender bias. Look, there's been an Iroquois Nationals team for, geez, maybe 30 years, maybe longer. I don't even know. You know, maybe 40 years. And it's always been this, this. It's always been kind of run by Onondaga, um, Warren Lyons, and some of the the more iconic names you may have heard over you know, over the years that come out of Onondaga, come out of the the Haudenosaunee. But there's been pressure. You know, where, where are the women? Well, the reason that there has been very little talk over the years about uh, women, Haudenosaunee women playing lacrosse is because places like Onondaga condemn it. They don't think women should be allowed to, to play lacrosse. And I say they, not everybody, but, but the powers that be. In fact, the, the whole idea, uh, it, they will actually be very vocal about whether a woman should even touch, even touch a wooden lacrosse stick because that's traditional. And, and for a woman to even touch a lacrosse stick somehow, I don't know, it takes away the mojo, I don't know, but it's, uh, it, it's kind of absurd. So, and, and this, this bias and this, you know, cultural prohibition isn't founded in our culture. It, it's made up. There, there's no basis to say women or girls shouldn't play lacrosse. And in fact, we have some great lacrosse players. You know, I, I, I do this show from the Cattaraugus Territory of Seneca Nation. We've got some great Seneca women athletes that, that play lacrosse and, and other sports. So about 15 years ago, uh, enough Native women from, and again, when we pull together a team, a Haudenosaunee team, we pull it from all our Native communities, regardless of that so-called Canadian border. So we pull the best lacrosse players, male or female, from, from all our territories, either side of that imaginary line. So about 15 years ago, the, the women you put together a, the Haudenosaunee National Women's Lacrosse Association or, or, or um, organization. Now they knew they couldn't go to Onondaga where there's such a, you know, it's so taboo uh, regarding women playing lacrosse. So they went to Grand River or Oswego. It's uh, it's it's also called Six Nations. It's it's one of the largest native communities on the Canadian side. It's in Ontario. You you've probably heard me talk about it before, and they actually hold council there that is sometimes referred to as grand. You know, it, 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 so there's a grand council that's held in Onondaga, and there's a grand council basically that's been held that's held in uh, in Grand River. So. The women went to Grand Council and Grand River, where they thought they could you know, get a little bit better audience, and they were granted sanction because in order to play internationally, they had to be sanctioned by a governing body of, uh, you know, of a nation, right? And or at least one of them. <laughs> so that's what they did. So and they've played and they've they've really come up the up through the ranks. They, you know, they cracked the top ten. It wasn't always easy because again. The women had to overcome not just the, the the overall gender bias, but the but the bias against women playing lacrosse in in many places. Also, unlike the men, where lacrosse is played in high school in many places, and and there's a lot of club uh, lacrosse, box lacrosse, and all these other means for for boys to play. There there haven't been those venues. There haven't been the leagues and the you know uh, the junior leagues for for women to play lacrosse. So. 
and and frankly, it is a little bit different game, and uh, you know, so and that has to be taken into account. But uh, but they, yeah, they 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 cracked the top ten. I think they got as high as number seven in the world. But they had to do it all on their own. They had no support from Onondaga, no support from so-called Grand Council, even their battles over things like like passports and everything else. They had to do it all on their own. They didn't get any funding. Millions of dollars have flowed into Onondaga for the Iroquois Nationals. None of that went their, went their way. So when the pressure for the Iroquois Nationals to merge with the Haudenosaunee National Women's Team came along, the Iroquois Nationals said, no, for one thing, if you're saying that we have to have a men's team and a women's team that play under the one banner of the Haudenosaunee Nation national team, well, we're not doing that. We've been the Iroquois Nationals, and that's what we're going to be. Even though I got to tell you, Iroquois is not our word. I mean, and in fact, it's it's kind of an insult. I mean, and it's crazy because we get these people on Onondaga who are so passionate about the brand that they created with the Iroquois Nationals. They don't sound much different than, you know, than any of these pro teams, the Washington football team or the Atlanta baseball team or, you know, the, the Chicago hockey team. Oh, no, it's our brand. And, you know, it's, it doesn't matter that, that it, the words are inappropriate. We, you know, we don't use it that way. Well, that's the same thing that they say in Onondaga. Iroquois, yeah, we know it's not our word. I mean, we know that. And, and we know that the etymology of that word is not one that's necessarily, you know, complimentary put it that way so the idea that they're called the Iroquois Nationals is a problem that many people have in, in all of our Haudenosaunee communities but no they're not going to back off of that and so the problem that they had is they didn't want they didn't want to merge and, and with any equality between the men and women and so I'm, I'm telling you the story again I don't want to go through the whole thing but I'm telling you the story because the podcast that I've got coming out uh, tomorrow uh, or I'm sorry on Friday um is about this crisis. The idea that the Iroquois Nationals has basically dissolved. They ended. They 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 killed the Haudenosaunee National Women's Lacrosse Team, and they did so by by going to the Grand River, going to Grand River, and going to Grand Council, and having their sanction um, revoked for no good reason. But that's what they did, and they did so so they could create an Iroquois Nationals Women's Team. And they could run it under their organization. So all of the, the board members, the coaches, any of the, the, the organizational staff um, associated with the, with the Haudenosaunee National Women's Lacrosse Team have been dismissed. Now, the players, they can all go and, and try out in Onondaga uh, for the Iroquois Nationals women's team. That, they can do that. But... It, they they can't play as as team Haudenosaunee because that's not the way Onondaga wants the game played and and we can we can debate whether Onondaga is really going to provide the resources for women to play a, a sport that they don't think they should even play they're checking a box I mean because it's not just the organizers of, of international lacrosse it, it's it's big time sponsors like Nike Lacrosse they all suggest look we can't support an, an a male only um, team, and, and and so I mean, look, it, it was really clear what had to happen, but you know, even when things are really clear, it just doesn't happen. I get, you know, I get back, you know, in the back of my mind, I still got this whole uh, mascot issue. It doesn't matter how many, you know, professional services. It doesn't matter how you know how much pressure there is to do the right thing. There are people who will dig in, so. 
you, again, check out the True Anon uh, podcast this weekend and check out my Let's Talk Native podcast this weekend. I interviewed uh, women players and uh, one of the uh, or the executive director of uh, of the now defunct Haudenosaunee National Women's Lacrosse uh, team. So um, check it out. Um, there's no question, you know, what our message is there, but, um, you've got to, you know, you look, you got to judge for yourself. And this, some of these things are, are very, very difficult. These are, these are difficult issues. Look, I want to talk about one other thing. Uh, we are coming up between this show and next week, and I'm not sure if we're on next week, uh, in New York, we'll be on in Washington, but, um, uh, on July 11th is the anniversary of the attack by initially the provincial police in in Quebec on the community and on the people um, of Gunnazadage. And they were attacked because they were resisting the attempt by the the nearby or adjacent municipality called Oka that was trying to expand a nine hole golf course into an 18 hole course. And they were trying to do it on on, on Mohawk land, on Gunyagahaga land. And the standoff, which was, you know, had been, you know, uh, which was a blockade and, and you know, and Native people manning that blockade so uh, so the municipality of Oka couldn't do this work. And look, they'd already gone in and tried to cut down a bunch of the big standing pine trees and, uh, you know, and, you know, this was an area that was uh, where, where people had been buried where uh, it was almost like a it was a park-like atmosphere. There was a lacrosse box that was there, and Oka says, "No, we're taking it." And they came in with um, with militarized police that are part of their what they call the SQ, uh, which is the provincial police, um, firing shots. And of course, they all said, "No, we weren't really firing shots at people. We were we were just shooting them in the air as warning shots." Well. They dug some bullets out of the trees that were hit by some of those uh, some of those shots from the SQ, and it wasn't shot in the air. When all was said and done, there was a, a firefight that went on for um, not it didn't go on for an hour, but it went on for for many minutes, put it that way. And out of that, one police officer was killed. And you know, and, and there's a lot of debate on whether the police officer was killed by their own friendly fire, uh, or whether you know whether they were he was shot by the the Mohawks that, that shot back. But this turned into a major international story. Didn't get much coverage in the U.S. They were, there was kind of a media blackout here, but it was a, a major conflict, and it's one that really changed, um, if not shaped, uh, the relationship between Native people. Mohawks in particular, but it but it ended up being one of those signature um, displays of resistance at the highest level. We're talking about an armed resistance because after the SQ, the R, the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, would uh, would be a part of the aggression. And then when that wasn't working, the uh, the Prime Minister of Canada brought in the the, the army. I mean, so this was the Canadian military, not just police now. We're talking about the army that was, you know, basically, you know, taking up arms against literally a handful of Mohawks in Gunasadage. And, of course, it would turn into more than that because in the community that I'm from, Gunawage, 
the folks there, out of solidarity, closed off the Pont Mercier Bridge, which was the, the bridge that goes into Montreal um, that has, you know, that, that is on our lands. Um, they, they blocked that off. And, and so it turned into it turned into a conflict where it was the Canadian army against the Mohawk nation <clears throat> and Mohawk communities. And of course, the solidarity didn't end there. There were there were territories all over Canada to a lesser extent in, in the United States that were doing any number of things. And I don't mean just, um, you know, protesting. There were rail lines that were blocked. There were power lines that were toppled. There there was a lot of activity that took place. But it turned into this major conflict that went on for for months in in this little town of, uh, uh, between Gunazadaga and Oka, um, and in in Gunawaga. So, as you know, as the summer goes on, we'll talk a little bit more. You know, I, I do have a podcast. Uh, you can check that out. It's 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 about a, a month old or so. But if you uh, you go if you look at uh, Let's Talk Native and you and you look at the podcast, you can scan down. It's one of the the more uh, listened to podcasts, um, and it's it's pretty well produced. I've got a couple of people who were involved in the siege in Gunasadage, uh, so if you get a chance, check that out. Um, Check them all out, but uh, but that one's timely and topical because of the anniversary that's that's coming up this next week. So I wanted to mention that because it is it is really important. Look, um, I I do want to go to a few phone calls. So, so but I do want to remind people that we have addressed critical race theory and and the fact anytime we bring up any of this history, those opponents of critical race theory who clearly don't what critical don't know what critical race theory is, they. They think any teaching of true history is essentially critical race theory. Critical race theory is, in a nutshell, it's the idea of of of, of doing the study on law that has been shaped by racism. Now, look, if you're not teaching true history, there's all kinds of things that that are shaped by that by that the racist view of history. Not just laws, but you know policies, uh, you know any any number of things. But no schools with the possible exception of a few universities, actually teach critical race theory. So as I hear people on the right saying, no, we're going to oppose any teacher who teaches critical race theory. The problem is, if any teacher teaches true history, it's up to, I don't, I don't even know who the arbiter of this is, but somebody else can decide, well, what you're teaching is actually critical race theory, so we're going to revoke your tenure and we're going to fire you. I mean, it's, it's uh, there are states that have, legislated it unlawful to teach critical race theory without ever even defining it so it's it's pretty problematic so um i know i you know i covered a bunch of things the one last thing i I will say is for those of you who've been following the work that i've done in my old high at my old high school in cambridge new york um it is anticipated that that at the the board meeting that i think is going to be held tonight that the, this school that last mo- only last month um, passed a resolution to retire the, the the Cambridge Indians mascot will rescind that that resolution and bring it back. Why? Well, because there's been a, a little bit of the changing of the board makeup, and and it just goes to you know again the belligerence, the lack of respect, the the lack of conscience that exists in these very 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 white communities to hear or even to, you know, abide by any sense of decency. 
And so a very brave few on a, on a school board voted to, uh, to retire the mascot last month. And now with a little bit of the changing dynamics of the board, they're going to try to bring this thing back. And they probably will bring it back. And you know what? I'll be fighting them every step along the way. So, um, look, they've been covered in the Washington Post. Um, the AP has care, uh, covered some of the stories out of Cambridge. I encourage, I encourage you to look some of those up. And, of course, follow my podcast and, and this show, and you'll you'll get some updates on it. So, Reggie, what do you, what do you think about doing a few uh, – can we do a couple of co- phone calls? Sure. If you want to do phone calls, yes, absolutely. We can do it. And listeners who want to participate and talk with John, the number to call is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Yeah, we haven't done this in a while. And, you know, and, and I apologize to the folks listening in, uh, in Washington, D.C., because this show is airing on Thursday in New York and it airs um, Friday in Washington. But if you are watching us uh, stream live on Facebook and you were in the D.C. area, I think it would be great to uh, to hear from some of the folks from down there. Again, the number is 212-209-2877 uh, to, to call in to uh, Reggie to, uh, to ask me a question or give me your thoughts. I know we've done a lot of topics since we've taken phone calls last, so if there's anybody out there who wants to you know, ask a question or learn something. And I know there's a few out there who want to criti- <laughs> critique or uh, or challenge me on something. So what do we got? Anybody on the line? Oh, there, no, no, no. We got some callers here. So are you ready to go? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we only got about 15 minutes, so we'll, we'll get as all many right. as we can. So, uh, all right. Caller, you are up first. First in a long time. So you're up first. What's your name and where are you calling from? Russ. Russ? Yeah, up in Westchester. Hey, John. Hey, Russ. You're a long time no here. Of course, that's that's more on me than on you. So uh, it's, it's great to hear from you. How you doing? It sure is. I listen all the time, and I miss Reagan, too, talking to her. She's the voice of sanity. Not that you aren't. But, you know, I'd like to point out some of the backlash on hashtag Me Too and what's going on with Bill Cosby. Do you think he's going to get a $30 million settlement from the taxpayers of Pennsylvania? I don't think so. Honestly, I don't. I mean, because. Uh, why I point it, that out is, I'm sorry, what? No, go, no, go ahead, go ahead. Why I point that out is that it looks to me like these reactionary right-wingers, and you know, I'm a, I'm a political Marxist. I'm not one of these cultural Marxists that's more of faux socialist. But on the right and the reactionary right, they're using the politics of grievance, which mirrors this hashtag Me Too, which mirrors this CRT, which is, you know, I know, being exploited for their grievance. But it's, it's the hypocrisy of the people on the left that allowed this to happen. I listened to William Kunstler's widow, Margaret Ratner Kunstler, say that on, from the January 6th protest, preventive detention is a good thing. And I think William Kunstler would be representing those, those people inside. The only person who was killed was Ashley Babbitt, and we still don't know who. But, John, thanks very much. And please take more callers. For you. I'm really loving the show. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks for your thoughts. You know, I got to tell you, I um, just for those who don't know, William Kunstler um, represented me in uh, in some of my legal challenges uh, oh, 30 something years ago. And what I will say about William Kunstler, there may be no real political line that he won't cross to defend somebody. But in order for him to defend somebody, he has to believe that that person has been treated badly by the system. Um, so I don't know. 
that William Kunstler would have def- defended any of these folks who attacked the Capitol. I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced that that would have necessarily been been the case. I mean, um, yeah, but, I, you know, it's it's like, uh, who's that? Ramsey Clark, who, who passed away fairly recently. I mean, Ramsey Clark defended uh, Saddam Hussein. And, and we can have a conversation for those who want to get all patriotic about what a travesty that was. But, I mean, look, there are some people who, who see justice as a system not over just you know not as a judgment about you know, whether somebody's ideology lines up with theirs or not and 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 that's what i think guys like william consul were about all right well who else we got here uh reg okay we have another caller on the line and that is you caller you're Hi, on the my- air with uh john kane hey john uh my name's anthony hey anthony uh, thanks for calling yeah, absolutely. I've actually been trying to call in for a couple months now. I'm so glad you guys took calls. Uh, I was very excited when you said at the top of the show that you were going to be. I uh, I wanted to make a comment, or rather, I wanted to read back something that you had said a few months back, uh, I think when Regan was busy getting arrested. Um, it was, our task is not to navigate the systems of oppression with as much grace and dignity as possible. It is to dismantle those systems. More importantly, you said, I don't mind using people within the system to help dismantle it, but I'm not going to join that system to dismantle it from the other side. I actually work in local government and politics in Erie County. Um, I reached out to you over the summer, you and Jake Proud, I'm a Patreon supporter, about uh, potential electoral uh, you know, uh, motivations and such on and off territory. Now, I know, uh, I know your guys' opinions of uh, hierarchy in the carceral state. <laughs> So I wasn't too hopeful, but I do want to say you said after that quote that nobody joins the evil empire specifically to dismantle it. And I just wanted to say that there are some of us out there. There are some of us who are engaging with these systems in an attempt to not reform them so much as, as you said, dismantle them from within. I uh, have no more. Well, really OK, right, just first off, the quote that I um, that I gave about um uh, navigating the systems of oppression with dignity and grace or whatever else. That's not my quote. Um, um, I, I like that quote and I have uh, used it often. Um, but as far as the idea of, of, uh, of native people joining the system of oppression with the hope that we're somehow going to topple it or dismantle it, you look, most of our dismantling can be done on our side of that equation. And 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 I see people get excited because Deb Haaland is the is the uh, the Secretary of the Interior, or even on the Canadian side, I think Justin Trudeau just um, or not. I'm sorry, it wasn't Justin Trudeau. I think it's the Queen of England appointed um, a Native woman who sits now as the Governor General. Which yeah, is, the, it you know, was the Queen of England. Yeah. So I mean, and and the idea that Native people get excited about this stuff. I mean, look, they don't work for us. I mean, this woman works for the queen. Hallen works for, for Joe Biden. We haven't done really good with Joe Biden, you know, and not when he was the vice president. And frankly, you know, th- there are a lot of places that, that he doesn't just fall short. I mean, he is he is part of the problem. And, you know, and, and, and at some point, Regan and I are going to do a show to talk about how people try to interpret our political ideology as Native people. I mean, because look, between the, the, the high level of Christianity that exists on Native people, the um, or the rate of enlistment into the military service, and so many other you know other things like that, the assumption is that we are somehow right right 
right wingers and and even as we criticize an Obama or or a Joe Biden, that doesn't mean that by any way, shape or form that we were fans of Donald Trump. We are we just neither one. This, those are two wings of the same bird as far as we're concerned. But but as far and but I will say, look, I think there are people within the U.S. system or and the Canadian system who do try to do good work. But it, but it's very, very difficult. And and so the idea that that I will leave my people to be a part of that system to try to change it from the from the inside. That's that's what I'm talking about, uh, Anthony. Uh, and I don't know if Anthony, you're still here. That's that's what I'm talking about. OK, I guess he left. OK. All right. But no, I appreciate the call. And look, I appreciate anybody Look, the allies that we need to to to, to stem the, the hatred, vitriol and the actions of racism, you know, I, we need that from the, from the from people who are a part of that system. I mean, that's the, that's the way it works. Look, this mascot issue. I'll, I'll give you another example. I used to oppose the idea that that states or the federal government would have to mandate uh, or prohibit uh, native the use of native mascots. But what I've come to learn, and, and this in the, the very town that I kind of grew up in, is that there are pockets of racism that are scattered across this country that will never change if they are left on their, uh, to their own to make that decision. So, I, you know, I, I changed my mind on that. But even though I think that New York State and, and other places should, uh, should prohibit the use of native mascots, I, I won't... You won't see me um, lobbying, you know, state legislatures to do it. I look if, I, if asked, I would testify in a hearing. But I'm not asking them to pass a law for me. This is a law they need to pass for them. They need to stop harming their own people by by miseducating them over who who native people are. But you know, and and just to again, one final thought on that. They never had to make it illegal. Um, they never had to make blackface illegal. There were there were enough people who said, yeah, that's kind of wrong. And then, in fact, everybody does all the all the damage control when, you know, the governor of Virginia or, or the prime minister of Canada, you know, pictures show up of them in blackface when they were younger. So everybody knows that blackface is wrong. But the idea that that no matter how much we raise the issue about native mascots, we cannot convince some white people that it, that it's wrong. All right. Uh, Reggie, we got anybody else coming up on the line? Yes, we do, and that All right. person Who's... is up and ready All right. to go. What's your name? What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, 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 it's Ed Norton. Hey, I'm Charlie. <laughs> how you doing? How you doing? <laughs> listen, Charlie, how'd I know it would be you? I don't know. I don't know. But listen, I'm with you. Hey, listen, I've been fighting racism for so many years. I don't want to brag, but most likely um, I've been fighting racism longer than most people on BAI. But anyway, listen, I'm with you. I'm a sensitive guy. If those mascots bother you, I'm against them. I, you know, I, I'm with you. You know, my, I'm American, but my uh, my grandparents came from Italy. There is a, a, I don't know what the hell it is, a cartoon or something called Mario. Uh, do, are you are you familiar with that? There's a video game with uh, Mario, the Mario people Brothers. Have shirts. People have shirts. <laughs> people, okay. I don't know what. The, you know, they have shirts with this stuff. They have pictures all over the place. Mario, isn't that like a put-down of Italian-Americans? I don't know. 
Because if I'm, if I'm going to be with you on your mascot, you got to be with me on, on this thing over here. Is that like making fun of Italian Americans? I don't know. Okay, well, I'm putting. The I, 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 no, I here's here's the difference. I mean, and you know, you okay, always yeah, got to try to create this. Differences. No, well, knew- here's the difference. We're talking about white people claiming, calling themselves Indians. Is is that are there are there a bunch of non-Italians running around calling themselves Mario? Is that what is that? Because if that's well, the case, then no, that's no. Just listen, just listen. If that's the case, then yes, that's an appro- a, a misappropriation. So when I talk about the mascot issue. We are talking about somebody taking a native image and then claiming it to for themselves to represent them. I don't know that's what's happening with Mario and Luigi on uh, on the Mario Brothers. You, uh, oh, okay. But but look, but look if it offends you, if it offends you, then by all means speak out against it. And I and have, and frankly, I, have, I would su- I would support I would support a uh, if if there was a movement amongst Italian uh, uh, Americans who who thought that the Mario Brothers was uh, was a stain against their existence. Um, I look, I, I'd hear that. Well, how about the Godfather itself? You know, I mean, Italians are seen as like criminals and stuff like that. But anyway, the point is, the point is, we need to support each other. Okay, yeah, you, you got to be sensitive. Now, why these why these whites are pretending to be uh, Indian uh, or natives? Uh, there could be many reasons for that. You know, I mean, why? Why? It, in, in some in some aspects, you could say, well, I, I shouldn't take offense. You know, they they, they you know they want to be part of us. No, they don't want to be a part of us. That, that, so, see, that's that's so where well, you're, you're just flat out wrong. And it's not that they these these are taxpayer funded schools well, well, that have adopted these uh, that have adopted these these images, and and these children are indoctrinated. To, to play Indian as a part of their upbringing. That's, you just seem to be be missing, you know, what the issue is. And so, look, and look, I, I hear what you say. You, you, you think that Mario brother, Mario is, you know, is, is offensive. And, and I hear you. I, I can't debate. If you say it's offensive, I got to take you at your word. And, and look, there are native people who don't think native mascots are offensive. They're in the minority, but just because somebody says they don't think it's offensive doesn't mean that it's not offensive. And look, and at this point, I'm well beyond offensive, you know, or being offended. And it's not because I'm sensitive. It's because we had children killed in schools for the explicit person purpose of, of having their identity stolen from them. And... At the same time, you had white schools that were able to uh, that that encourage your kids to play Indian. So that's it. All right, what, what, Reggie? We got uh, we got time for maybe yeah, one more, one more call. We go. uh, one more caller, and he is up right now. Yeah, Carl, how you doing, you're sir? up next. What's up? <clears throat> yeah, how you doing? I'm I'm, I'm good. I reside in the Bronx. I, I reside in the Bronx, and um, a lot of people that live in the inner city they don't they don't appreciate the vastness of New York State. New York, upstate New York is like, you know, a whole different world. And um, I know that they have a lot of those reservations, like like around Plattsburgh and stuff like that. I mainly travel to the Catskills. But I think like in a lot, a lot of those areas, and we don't know about, we, we don't, I never knew they had they had um, reservations in New York State. I thought oh, they were like, like you know, like in um, New Mexico and, you know, like the West Coast. But that's very interesting because I knew I was incarcerated and I, I, you know, I was in Groveland and I met a nice guy, man, decent, nice guy, um, 
Chet DeBasio. I'm not sure if you know him. Chet DeBasio. He lived in the reservation around there. Jefferson, Jefferson no, I'm not County. familiar with him. Okay. The second thing I have is, 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 is you know, it's for Reggie. When they shut down BAI, right, and you had they had Arthur Swartz fighting tooth and nail to save the station. You got people like Gary Noel trying to support the station whichever way we can. And you have people that host the station that, you know, they're BAI buddies too, and they try to support the station as well, and, it's, and, and people like us. Why the hell are they still doing this bylaws? Why can't these people just back the hell off? Leave BAI alone. They, they broke into the station, and, you know, it was a, it was a, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a fierce legal battle. BAI got, got saved. Why are they doing this? Leave BAI alone. Well, I'll, I'll answer that question. I mean, it, 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 it's simple. It comes down to money. You know, and, and so many of these problems do. At the yeah, end of the day, yeah. there, are, there are stations um, and there are people from some of the other Pacifica stations. There are people from some of the other regions who see WBAI as a, um, as, a, as a golden goose. Not because they value the station. They know that this, that, that the license, you know, BAI, for one thing, is, is in the commercial um, band of the, of the FM dial. I mean, it, uh, so it has value. And because some of these other stations see this as a, as a potential to, to sell, to sell off, they, they are continuously trying to take control of, uh, from, from WBAI. And that's, you know, look, the, the referendum's over, so I assume I can talk about this. If I can't, well, then, then shame on no, me. No, 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 it's, the, it's the, good. The election, ref- is, yeah. the election has, has transpired. We don't know the results yet. This is the second attempt that they've had from some of the same folks who, who did the coup against the WBAI to change the bylaws to wrestle local control away from, uh, from uh, you know, from, for the station. So, um, Look, they may try it again. Who knows? Right. But, but hopefully this, this referendum goes the way many of us want it to go uh, and local control. I mean, look, we got our hands full anyway. Right. And, and I'm not going to back away from the, the idea that, that WBAI is, is always in a, in a constant state of emergency. But, the, but <laughs> yeah. you know, in many ways, I look at some of the, what happens at WBAI, and it's not unlike what I see in, on Native territory. Some of the, right. some of the ba- people we have to fight the hardest as Native people are Native people. And you know, so there are people that, are, that claim to be on the left who you know, claim to support progressive radio who are basically doing what they can to, to either shut down or take control of, of WBAI. And it's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. So, you know, I, I appreciate, I appreciate yeah. the call. I mean, it, it is really, we'll see how this thing plays out. Right. We'll, we'll know over the next and, couple of days. And if, and if you allow me to add on to what you just said, uh, John, uh, everything that you said is correct. And I'm, I may add that not only it is about money, but the people, because WBAI, as well as the rest of the radio stations, uh, the four other radio stations, are all owned by the Pacifica Foundation. They have the license. They control the license. And the reason why this subject matter always rears its ugly head is not only just money, but it's lack of it's, it's lack of imagination, a lack of moving forward in how to utilize all the radio stations and its affiliates to take it into the 21st century. And, and John, this this kind of reminds me of the time when we when, when we had that all hour going back and forth and talking about the issues about 
the the network as a whole that made management here at WBAI as well as the rest of the management in Pacifica a lot nervous because here two folks here that is part of the network that was openly critiquing just the shortcomings of what this network could do and they haven't been doing and it still is the case today the reason why it is what it is is because of the lack of planning and the lack of forward thinking that from the people that are in control simple but as I that. will say, I will say that this doesn't just impact wouldn't have just impacted the WBI this was you know WPFW oh, yeah. and, and oh, Washington absolutely. They, they were absolutely. at risk and they they are another station that was you know, really targeted by by some of this group absolutely so, you know we'll, we'll hopefully things things end up in the way we we want them to but look we've got our hands full we, we've got a lot of work to, That's to maintain and to and to improve these stations and and it's you know it's listeners it's it's uh, don't uh, you know donations that that allow us to do what we do, um, but look, we do try to hear you too. So uh, I thank you, I thank you for calling in, and look, I, I appreciate the support. Support WPFW, support WBAI, uh, and in doing so, you support programs like this that allow us to have these conversations. Reggie, I want to thank you so much for uh, for helping me out. Uh, I, I, Always, I man. Nothing but good well wishes to to Regan. Um, yes. I know Regan um, uh, hurt hurt their arm, and and I know. Um, well, Regan will be back, and and we'll be kicking it like we always do. So uh, thanks for listening. Love you, Regan. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll see you next time. This is John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Yahweh.